What happened to our nation's families? Say that with me, please. Today, we continue a study. We start a new study. And uh, this study is um, fascinating to me because it talks about family. And um, I was going to talk today about um, just what happened to our nation. And I just couldn't stop with that topic because I had to be more specific. We've started the year out with one question. The question is, if you look in the mirror and you're not the person you imagine you'd be, what happened? And so the first month we talked about what happened to me. The second month we talked about what happened to what? My money. Say it again. What happened to my what? Money. And now we're going to talk about what happened to our families. Next week we talk about what happened to our young people, to our children. And it's really important in this first few months of study that we, we analyze that person in the mirror and try to figure out how we can change it so that we don't end up in the same place in the future. And nothing's going to change unless you decide to change it. And so if you can back up with me for just a minute and think through your family and ask yourself, what happened? What happened to my family? Some of you said, my family is a mess. Some of you said, my family is pretty solid, pretty strong, pretty good. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to be able to say. But I believe that if we're honest, the one thing we, that went wrong with our family, and, and please notice how I worded this, our nation's families, is I believe that if you fix the families, you fix the nation. It starts with the, those of us who live in households, changing our attitudes. The, the one thing that I think we've done wrong in family is we have made investments that have not turned out like we planned. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we have a family that made an investment a spiritual investment, and they assumed that that spiritual investment was going to, to make a great, great change in their life. They made a spiritual investment. And oftentimes when we make a spiritual investment, we think it solves all of our financial investments. But when you look at this family, you just, you're, they're shocked when I read you the story. You're going to be shocked. It, it, for them, it was, how in the world could we be such a spiritual people and have these financial issues? We made financial investments the father in this family did, but they didn't work out right. He probably thought, like a lot of us do, that if you make a, spirit, a, financial, a spiritual investment, it solves all your financial investment issues. God's going to work it out. There's no way that you can be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, love God, a praying, spiritual person, committed to God, and have financial trouble. How in the world could that possibly be true? How in the world could your life end up in this cycle of challenge? Well, this is not about finances, the sermon, but I want you to see a, sur a, a study that I think is, in, is fascinating. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. He's a son of the prophets. He's a preacher guy. He's following Elijah. He's spiritually engaged but he's a financial wreck. Listen to what he said. The woman said, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know, I put this in bold prints for you in the notes, that your servant feared the Lord. He feared God. I mean, this is a guy who feared God. Pause and think about that. This is not some flaky person. This is a praying person. 
person who goes to church, to, to the temple. It's a guy that's totally committed. Nothing phony about him. But notice this. The creditor is coming to take my two sons to have to be his slaves. Some guy he owed money to before he died, he didn't pay back. And now the guy is cashing in. And, and in these days, they didn't have, you know, um, bankruptcy. They took your children. So some of you kids, if you lived in this day, you'd be in the visa jail right now. <laughs> They'd have you locked out. You had to work. You had some of you kids, I see you looking at your parents like, what in the world? That's exactly right. They came and got you. You had to work off the debt. And for many times, that was for the rest of your life. Imagine what the kids are feeling. What's really sad is a lot of times the kids don't even know what happened. There's an interesting study in the Bible about the impact that parents have on their children. Children were killed in the Bible because of their parents. Kids would suffer because of their parents. The choices you make can have long-term generational impact for years and years and years to come. And here you have this story of these two boys about to go off to prison, and they come to Elijah, and it's desperate. Please help us. You know he was a godly man. So first thing I want you to notice is godly people can get in trouble. <laughs> Excuse me. Godly people can get in trouble. They can get in bad trouble. And a common way they do that is because of money and debt. Now, I want to pause there and say that's the end of that story as far as what happened. No, no details are given as to how he got in debt. and It seems like that's not even important. What's important is how God fixes the family. And what we see are three things he does that fixes this family. Now, pause and think about this for a second. He's not asking them to tell a history, historical summary of what happened. It can feel really bad to have to tell everybody how you got there. As a matter of fact, some of you don't even know how you got in this mess. But here's what's great. He doesn't spend any time. Elijah doesn't say, well, tip me down and tell me, OK, what did he do? How did he, how did he get into debt? None of that. He just says, let me show you how to fix it. And the first thing he does is he starts with what they have. Listen to this conversation he has with the woman. It's fascinating. So Elijah said to her, this is God's method of fixing a family's issues. First thing he does is he starts with what you have available. Say that with me, please. Come on. He starts with what you have available. Say it again. Come on. He starts with what you have available. So Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you, what do you have in your, in your house? What do you have? She asked for help. He turns it around and says, okay, what do you have? One more time. She asked for help. He said, what do you have? He doesn't just take ownership of it. He doesn't just try to do it all on his own. We often think God's going to come in, take ownership of our financial life, take ownership of our grief or our depression, take ownership of our whatever, and he's going to fix it. So what we do is we pray about everything. Go to the altar. Take, take it to the Lord in prayer and leave it there. Okay, yeah, you take, your, you, take your, you take your car note to the altar and leave it there. They'll repossess your car. You take, you take the mortgage that you owe, leave it at the altar, and think it's going to be fixed. No. Please understand, he wants to know what do you have in your house. 
This is so amazing. Your maidservant has nothing. What do you mean, what do I have? I have nothing. Nothing in the house. All I got is a jar. All I got is a little, look, here's one, you know what I have? I got a jar of oil. That's what I have right here. This is it. I got a jar of oil. You know what he says? Good. That's a start. So what do you have? Third grade education? That's what we start with. What do you have? A job that pays the minimum wage? Good. That's what we start with. What do you have? A family that's kind of broken? Okay, we'll start with that. We don't talk, but we live together. Okay, we can start with that. I mean, I want you to pause for a minute. I want you to understand this is how he works. This is the process. He does not start with what I have if we're talking about you. Here's what I think people do a lot of times. They, they want to meet somebody that's got a lot of money, a lot of whatever they think they need, fame or whatever, and they think, this is, this is what I need. If I can just get that, I'm fine. My life's going to be absolutely wonderful because I have this famous person in my life. And that's some of your goal. Some of your goal in life is just, I got, if, I, if I can get them, you can meet anybody. But it, it always has to start with what you have. It's what you, it's what you know. It's not just meeting me and you want to be a preacher, okay, but if you don't know the Bible, how can you teach? We're talking about you, right? This is, we got to start with what you have. And this is powerful because some of us really think God's going to do it all. And he's not. What do you have? A jar of oil. Good. Well, we're going to start with that. And then he says this. Watch this. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Do not gather what? Just a few. Verse 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, watch what he says. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it into those vessels and set it aside, set aside all the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Amazing. Phenomenal. What I want you to do is I want you to take the vessel you have. We start with this. Now I want you to go beyond your family borders to get the balance of what you need. It starts with what you have, but it never ends in your house. If God's ever going to bless you, he's got to take you beyond your borders of comfort. He's going to include other people. I will never be successful alone. I will never, and I will never be a successful pastor alone. I'm never be a successful husband alone. I'm never, I have to, even if you're a single person with kids, you're going to have to include somebody else. He says, go outside your house and borrow other vessels. So imagine she goes from door to door, right? All of her friends, everybody in the neighborhood says, hey, can you loan me some vessels? Loan me some jars. And he says, what's going to happen is you're going to take the jar and you're going to take what you have and pour it in the vessel. And when you pour it, it will never run out. But you get one time. Go gather all you can one time. Bring it in the house. Catch this. Close the door. Everybody can't come to the party. I have learned that success requires isolation. One of the biggest surprises for me is that if I'm going to be successful, I have to be alone. If you want your student trying to get a degree, it's lonely. You and the book in the room. You and the book in the library. You and the book. You and the computer. You by yourself. 
There's no way. All my sermons are written alone. Me, God, and the Bible. That's how it works. There's something profound that happens when you accept isolation. Close the door. Nobody's allowed in. You will never be successful if you demand your friend's presence. You will always be limited. You will always have trouble. Don't get so frustrated when you're by yourself. You don't get that way when you get a, a check. <laughs> if I gave you $25,000 right now, today, and put it in your hand today, you know what you'd do? Say, thank you. <laughs> this is a drill. You know you ain't getting it, right? <laughs> right. But if I gave you that $25,000 today, you'd get to the bank. What time in the morning when the bank opens? Early. You'd be there at 9 o'clock? You'd be there right at 9, 8.55. Be right there early in line for the first one. Now, who are you going to take with you? Nobody. Nobody. Ask your neighbors, can I go with you? Come on, say, can I go with you? Can I go with you? No, not today, not today. She said, no, you don't, I don't need your presence today. See, notice, you don't want anybody with you. That's what success requires. Close the door. He said, close the door. Everybody can't see this. I've seen a lot of people who become celebrities, become wealthy business people, and they go back and get all their old friends, try to take them along. They can't go. It's really, it's really, it's one of those things that success requires. So anyway, so she, she goes in the house, gets everything she needs, and they start pouring. Now I want you to watch this third principle. Number one, starts, starts with what you have available. Starts with what you have what? Second thing that happens, he sends you beyond your what? Family borders. You got to go beyond your family borders. Everything you need is not in your house. You got to include other people. Thirdly, he prospers your family at the level of your willingness to gather. You gather 10 vessels, that's all you got. 50, 50, that's all you, whatever you gather. I am a professional gatherer because I understand the power of this principle. Look at verse 6. Came to pass, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. Now, they're getting excited because they start pouring and it's not running out. Whole room full of vessels. And they're like, oh, man, this is amazing. This is amazing. Let me make an observation I didn't make in any other service that I, I just forgot to make, but this is important. This miracle is only necessary because of that. This miracle is only necessary because of that. This miracle would not be necessary if dad had not died in such debt. This crisis is because of debt. I just want to make that point. That's all. Let's not shoot dad down. Maybe he got trapped. Maybe it was a raw deal. I don't know what happened. But I want you to see, God steps in, doesn't ask a lot of questions. He knows what happened. But this miracle is only necessary because of debt. Well, she's happy. Fill up the vessels. And she says, bring me another one. They're dancing right now, right? And what's amazing is there's not another vessel. One of the boys says, hey, sit, sit, mom. There's no more. The Bible said, so they all did what? Ceased. No more. 
She prospered at the level of her willingness to gather. Now, you know what she said. Oh, man, I knew five more people. You know, I mean, you just start thinking of all the places you could have gone. But the problem is you didn't gather anything else. Could it possibly be that in your life you right now have what you had the faith to gather? Could it be? You stop reading. You stop researching. You stop asking questions. Stop going to church. You stop gathering spiritual knowledge. You didn't give God anything to pour anything into. And so you're kind of wondering, well, what's, 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 what's wrong with my life? He says, well, you know, you kind of stop gathering. And now you want to blame God because you ran out of vessels. Like, hey, well, hey, I told you to gather all you can. You are involved in this process. It's not just me responsible for you. So in this moment, she's sitting there and she's looking at this. And so she goes to Elijah. Verse 7, she came and told him, the man of God, go and sell the oil, he tells her. Go and do what? I'm not selling it for you. You go negotiate your own deal. <laughs> Excuse me. Go negotiate your own deal. Go negotiate your own deal. If you get cheated, you get cheated. This is your money. This is your miracle. Negotiate your deal. You're in charge of it. I'm not doing it for you. And then when you get it, pay off your debt. Don't go party with this money. Pay off your debt. Get from under the thumb of these people. Change your life. Take this moment, this advantage, and change your life. You are in college pouring oil in a vessel. This is your moment. You're on a new job. You've got a promotion. It's a new vessel. A new opportunity. I want you to see how responsible he made her. I want you to see that she couldn't just pray about this. She had to be engaged in the process. If God's going to bless you, you're going to be involved in the process. Your oil is going to be involved in the process. Your effort's going to be involved in the process. You're going to have to pour the oil. You're going to have to isolate yourself. You're going to have to make decisions. And you're going to have to sell the oil, negotiate the right deal. And then you're going to have to decide to pay off your debt. You're going to have to be a good steward of what you've been given. You're not excluded from this. You can't just pray and say, God, fix my life. It doesn't work that way. You can't just surround yourself with wealthy people and expect them to, to bail you out all your life. At some point, you've got to pause and say, okay, let me fix this. Let me tell you. Three people were changed forever because of this moment. Three people, the sons and the mom. The boys were surely touched because they saw no one's blaming dad. However you got here, you got here. The big issue is what did you learn? And so now you say, well, pastor, that sounds like my story. Well, let's start with you. What do you have? What do you have that you can start with? Must we, must we dwell on what you don't have? That's not important. What do you have? If you read ahead of me, you're going to miss the point. Turn that paper back over again. You're cheating, aren't you? 
trying to see where I'm going. That's why you shouldn't give them sermon notes, right? Here's the deal. Your life is your responsibility. It's your gift of God to you. In this story, you see a woman whose family is turned into something she never expected. And so she's desperate, like a lot of you are, to fix it. And the, the, the big mistake you make is you assume it's somebody else's job. We do this with schools. We do this with our, with our communities. We do this with government. We think it's somebody's going to come in and they're going to just fix all of our issues. And that somehow we are, we are separated from having to be involved in the process. What I believe fixes the nation's issues is when families take ownership. It used to be that families felt responsible. You know, it, it's always amazing to me. <clears throat> if you send your kid to school and your kid's not doing well, you are mad with the teacher. That's astonishing to me. Can I ask you a question? Whose child is this? Whose oil is this? At some point, you have to pause and say, no, this is my child that I'm sending. And as a parent, you know, I, I want to say this. I know how you, you can have a blind spot with your kids. You know, I used to, my kids would come home and they got a, a note or something. And uh, I would say, okay, listen, I got a note. I need to know what the deal is before I go down here. Don't let me be the dumbest one in the room. Because, you know, when they come home, they say, oh, daddy, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I don't know, teachers are crazy. I don't know what happened, Dad. They teach crazy, you know what I'm saying? Teachers are just off the rocker sometimes. I was in there praying. I was reading the Bible or something, Dad. I was talking to God, and, and I was talking out loud, and the teacher said I was talking to my friend, but I was talking to God out loud. Uh-huh, okay. Back up and try that again. You were talking out loud to God about what? About music? Well, you, I mean, I want you to, see, there's this moment in your life when you have to take ownership and say, this is my oil. This is my family. This is, this is, this is my issue. There, there's something about owning it and, and, and putting your arms around it and saying, okay, now, God, I'm going to ask you to give me vessels. Give me places that I can fix this. I, I, I need to engage with somebody outside of my comfort zone. And if we can, if we can grab a hold of that as families, we change everything. I was riding down the street yesterday, the other day, and, you know, some kids were outside, and, and they were throwing rocks at my car. Yeah, the preacher's car. God will get you if you're watching. You better watch yourself. But they, they did. And they were, they were just throwing, you know, I was riding down the street. And I, you know, I thought middle schoolers, little, little kids. It was night. And they go, where are your parents? I turned around. I did call those people, you know, special people. I did call them. And I did kind of scare them off. But, you know, because I, I turned around. But what's powerful, I'm a ninja sometimes. Anyway, I, I turned around. You know, I think, get out of here. It used to be a time when we all felt responsible. You know, when you, how many, watch this. How many of you, when you were kids, you, you got paddled in school? Raise your hand. Put your hands up high. Let me see. All of you got paddled in school. Uh-huh. Some bad people in here. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, what's interesting, some of you younger kids going, you're kidding. I'm glad I wasn't in school back in those days. Hey, everybody in this church must have been bad. Right. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that we need to bring that back because there were all kinds of problems with it. All kinds of problems with it. But I, I do understand, I do understand that we felt responsible. This is a story that teaches responsibility. This is a story that teaches you that you can't just make it somebody else's issue. And it calls you to say, let me start with what I have. 
So in your family, you're praying for the nation. But in reality, the nation should be praying for your family. If we fix your family, we fix everything. I want to give you some ways that I've learned to help fix my family. Now turn it over. You ready? Here are four things that I, I do that help fix my family. Vessels that I use. Everybody say time. I invest time. I believe that's a vessel I can pour into. And I believe that they need to be, my family needs to be in my schedule every week. Every week. And there's something about that. I mean, this idea of vacationing once a year is wonderful, but you're not going to fix your family issues unless you're engaged weekly. Secondly, I believe in touch. I need to touch them verbally and physically. Do you understand the power of sitting at the table together without a TV on, without a device in your hand, and just being there? That used to be a normal part of life. Every, every evening, my mother would say, Rick, dinner is going to be at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. She's a single parent. And so she made sure that we sat down somewhere in the same vicinity and ate together. We've gotten away from touching each other. Third thing we do is I believe in teaching, not lecturing. Not lecturing. You know, who wants to have, well, come on, kids. Pastor Rick said we need to teach, so I'm going to show you all something in the Bible I read, you know, eschatologically in the Old Testament. Who cares? Don't lecture. You teach by being present, by sharing and loving. Everybody say time, time. Touching. touching, teaching. teaching. Say traveling. traveling. I want you to hear this one. Traveling is about adventures. You, know, you don't have to go far. You can go to the beach. You can go down the street. It's, it's all about creating an adventure where you, you're together. Adventures change everything. It's, it's that sense of we as a crew, we as a group, we as a family. And my mom and I used to do it. We used to get on the bus. We, were, I, we didn't have a car until I was 15. I mean, I want you to understand that. We rode the bus everywhere. We're bus people. Had a bus pass. That's when you are a bona fide bus person. <laughs> and I'm telling you, we rode, we rode the bus, and, and we, we, went on, we went shopping, went to the movies, and she always planned something. It was always every, guess this now, every week she had time for me. Every week, she, every day she touched me. Every, every, always taught lessons. One of her favorite lessons, she said she taught this probably, well, it was a couple of them. She used to teach me all the time. She said it all the time. Ricky, when I was little, she used to look down. When I was bigger, she used to look up. Do not live in the circle. You hear me, son? You hear me, son? Don't live in the circle. Doing the same things, making the same mistakes over and over again. And then when I used to get on the nerve, she used to say, empty wagon, make a lot of noise. <laughs> and she used to tell me about how, how water falls off a duck's back. She used to give me them little speeches. And don't let me tell a lie. Ooh, because if you lie, you're what? Steal. Oh, boy. She used to get mad with that one. Don't you lie now. You lie, you'll steal. You better not be stealing. If you go to jail, I ain't coming to get you. She said, I ain't coming to get you. She said, you going to stay down there? 
I'm not coming. I ain't, don't make me come to that school. If I got to work or make me come down there. I'm not, I don't have time to get off my job to come see about you talking in class. And she never, my mama never had to go to school for me. I was scared of that little woman. I was scared of her. I mean, there's something, I'm not saying some of you, some of you parents, you, you, know, you don't need any bully help because you, you bullies already. You know what I'm saying? Some of you really like this talk because you, you like to ninja your children and good kung fu them and scare them and buck, buck at them and all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You know I'm telling the truth. You don't need any help. Some of you are good at that. You need to touch your children. You need to love your children. You need to spend some time with them. You need to stop being intimidating. So I don't want you to take this sermon and go home and be some bully. I'm saying to you, there's something about saying in my family there are issues. And what's going to change those issues is me taking the oil that I have and reinvesting that oil, pouring it into new pots. Every year, I'm buying new books and reading stuff because I want to pour in new pots. When I got married, I got pots. I used to buy books on, on how to deal with women, how to understand women, what, what's wrong with women, how's right with women. <laughs> I got all kinds of books on women. I got books on pastor's wives, how to deal with a pastor's wife. And Diane used to get so mad at me. She said, what in the world are you doing? Won't you read something about men? I don't have a problem with men. I'm married to a woman. That's what I told her. I said, I got to get me some pots and pour something in these pots because I need some help. And when I got to be a pastor, I started getting books on pastoring, how to deal with members, crazy members, good members. Mm -hmm. I'm always buying books. I'm always reading because I, I need help. When I'm raising my children, when they're crazy, when I, I read all kinds of books on them. And it helped me. Wear your pots. Wear your pots. You can't afford a book, Google it. Dealing with crazy men, it'll come up. Look it up. <laughs> Lift your hand and say, I need a pot. Father, I pray that what we've talked about today has helped us to refocus our attention. Oh, God, help us. Somebody is discouraged today. Oh, man. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you're discouraged today. It is weighing you down. You cannot shake it off of you today. Hallelujah. Would you just lift your hand and worship God for a moment? Just lift your hands and worship Him. Lord have mercy. One of you asked me a question. Would you look at me for a second? You asked about confirmation. The question was asked in the beginning of the service. Pastor, what if you ask for confirmation? How do you know if it's God or not? I am so amazed at how wrong I get God all the time. That what I would consider a good confirmation is not as good a confirmation as I thought it would be. Pastors want to grow big churches and they think that confirmation of their success is more people. Let me give you a secret. The devil will send people to kill you. 
He'll send you out. You, you, you think when you see a man, when you see some guy in your life, you're praying for your husband. When you see some guys, now you got to watch these kind. If he make your knee buckle, you say, oh, Jesus, that's got to be him. When you first do that, watch yourself. You're crazy. You are now crazy. You're out of your mind. You're not thinking. You're not, you're not, you're not focusing. You got to get focused. Not, not, I'm not saying you got to get an ugly man to be in God's will. You understand? I'm not saying that. But you need to be rational. If he make you lose your mind, if he make you lose your perspective, if she makes you lose who you are, you can't pray, you can't serve God anymore. You've lost your way. Don't get caught up in this confirmation idea that this is the person because I feel good. You want to you back up a little bit and say, God, you know, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to worry about how I define things. I'm going to let you bring your Elijah into my life and show me how to change my circumstance. It's not what I expected. She did not expect that kind of confirmation. She did not believe, she had no idea, she couldn't imagine that God was going to work it out in a way that it worked out. She couldn't imagine. So here's what I'm praying for you. You can't see how God's going to free you, but he's going to free you. He's going to start with what you have and he's going to take it and multiply it. And I want you to just for a moment, lift your hands and say, Father, matter of fact, this is so important. Put your stuff down. Stand up on your feet. Come on. Stand up on your feet. Come on. Come on. Praise God. Stand up on your feet. Lift those hands up to heaven. Father, we speak the word of God over our lives. We bring you the oil that we have. And we believe that you're going to heal today and bless today and confirm in your own way through miraculous means. Hallelujah. Your, your grace on our lives, that you're going to do something abundantly above all we can ask or think. You're going to teach us something, Lord God, that we did not know could happen. Father God, you're going to work a miracle for us. You're going to cause, we think we need a new car, you're going to cause our cars to last longer. We think we need a new man or a woman, but you're going to teach us how to heal this relationship. You're going to, you're going to help us, Lord God, be content with what we have. You're going to help us see the school we're at is a blessed school. The problem is how we're responding to education. You're going to help us change our attitude towards classes that we don't like. Because the problem isn't the professor. The problem is our study habits. You're going to help us see it's not the neighbor, it's us. Father, we need to overlook what our parents haven't done right and accept what they have to offer. Father, in Jesus' name, yokes are going to be broken today. Healing is going to happen today. Deliverance is going to happen today. Power is going to happen today. Breakthrough is going to happen today. In the name of Jesus. Come on, church. We give you glory, Father. We pray. Breakthrough. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Every mind and every heart. We declare that we will not be the same. We, we, we want the yoke broken in Jesus' name. Now, I want, to take, I want to take three minutes to do something. And it's going to take me just three minutes. Because I, I don't normally feel this, but I want to if you are in a situation and you want God to do something that's a break, it needs to be broken. It's been around in your heart for a while in your life. Come to the altar for a minute. I'm, I'm praying a prayer. This is a breakthrough prayer. Come on down. It could be anything. It could be anything. This has been holding, holding you. You're like that woman. You feel like those sons. You feel like, man, I, I'm, I'm going off into slavery here. I need, I need deliverance. I need a breakthrough. I need to leave this church today and I need to be free. This has been 
on me too long. I believe God's able to take the oil that you have and change your life circumstance. Come on, this is it. This is it. This is, this is this where it happens. This is where it happens. In the name of Jesus. This is where it happens. Right here in Jesus' name. God, I, I speak. I speak healing. I speak grace. I speak deliverance. I speak victory to the hearts and minds of those who are here. And I declare by faith that they are called to freedom. They're called to not be in the same place. This is going to be broken off of their lives today. And Father, just like that woman walked out of there free of debt, taking charge of her life, people are going to leave this altar taking charge of their life. They're going to go get vessels. They're going to use what they have. They're going to stop waiting for some man or some woman to come, or some friend or some neighbor. They're going to stop waiting for somebody else. They're going to start taking charge, writing down plans. And God, I speak it in their life today that this would be a breakthrough for those here and those that are home, wherever they're watching. This is going to be a breakthrough moment, a moment of healing and a moment of deliverance. And so, God, we give you praise and we give you glory. And we, we're clear in our minds about how it works. We understand our role in this. And so we accept that role with confidence and faith. And I believe that you're going to do, God, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And I give you all the praise and I give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now I want you to look at me for a second before I say something to you. I'm going to give you a sneak preview of next year's sermon series. This year we're talking about imagine. Just imagine next year we talk about living in your purpose. Imagine that you, after this prayer, in a few months from now, you're going to be living in your purpose. Imagine that. Imagine that. Come on with me. Imagine that. Living in your purpose. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, say hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah. 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 This is no put down to police work at all. This is not a put down at all. None at all. Back here in my life, I could only see one thing, one purpose. I thought being a policeman was the highest calling of my life. I thought law enforcement, I dreamed that. I never thought I could teach. I never thought I was smart. I didn't think I was dumb. I just didn't think I was a scholar. I didn't know one college student. It's hard to believe that, but it's true. I didn't know one. Nobody in my family had been. I didn't know one. I, I played across the street from U University of Southern California, USC. I played, I used to jog around, but I didn't know anybody there. It's amazing how isolated you can be. But God looked and God said, that boy got some oil. That boy got some oil. He's jogging around a college he can go to. He don't even know he can go there. That's a, that's a master's degree, dude, right there. 
That's a strong theologian right there. That's somebody that can lead thousands of people. But he don't know it. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying, Jay? Come on, are you hearing me, church? Shoot. He's trying to marry Chiquiqua, but God got Diane for him. Praise God. Ain't nothing wrong. Chiquiqua was okay. That may be your name. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Just that. But, but God had Diane for me. Problem was, I got to get that boy to pour this oil in some vessels. So God put me around some people who talk differently than I used to hear. They challenged my thinking. And before you know it, I was pouring oil in vessels. And before you know it, times start to change. And then all of a sudden, the Lord said, not only could you do that, but you can mentor leaders. And you can do television. You can do radio. I never in my life dreamed I could. Never, never, never. One time did I ever think ever that I'd be on TV or radio or anything. Never in my life. And the Lord said, just pour the oil. Just get in front of the microphone. Hi, my name is Pastor Ricky Temple. Glad to be here today. Today we're going to talk about how to change your life. Come on, say amen. Are you hearing me? Can I, can I just get really down in the, in the river with you for a minute? I saw my paycheck and I thought my paycheck had to be one size all my life. I never dreamed to make money. I'm telling you the truth. I never got, and we did, we made, we, we cleaned houses. I, I, I never, but, but, but I'm going to tell you right now, there ain't nothing, there ain't nothing in the world like somebody writing you a check and they make you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, have mercy, God. There ain't nothing. Let me, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to bother you. Can I bother you a little bit? No, wait. Can I bother you just a little bit? There ain't nothing like going to the bank with a check that's embarrassing to put in there. <laughs> Jesus, have mercy. Great God Almighty. You don't even want to put it in the bank. You're scared they're going to see it. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, under him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Come on, people. Come on. Shout amen. It ain't about stuff. It's about oil. So now I'm standing here, living in a purpose I never dreamed. Imagine that you, next year this time, could be living in a purpose you never dreamed. Imagine with me. Father, let this be the beginning. Breakthrough. Healing. Deliverance, vision, strength, power. Some of them are going to rise up and they're going to do more than they ever thought possible. Father, I never saw myself as a giver. I never tithed in my life. I, I, never, I didn't grow up, but I, I see the power of honoring you. I've never been a person who understood the power of worship, but now I'm worshiping you. Now I'm doing things I never thought. So, Father, break the yoke in the lives of your people. Let there be healing today. Let there be deliverance today in Jesus' name. Before I say amen, I want you to hear what I said to you today. So what happened to our families? They didn't make the right investments. Now it's time for you to make the right investments. And your life will never change. Can we give an amen? amen. Come on, give God a big Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on, in the name of Jesus.
Come on, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we lift our hearts and hands to you and praise. We thank you. We honor you. Well, you go tell somebody, say, I'm on the way somewhere amazing. Come on, I'm on the way somewhere amazing. I'm on the way somewhere amazing. Go back to your seats. God bless you. Go back to your seats. So glad you're with us today. Those of you that are streaming in, we appreciate your presence. And we believe that God has touched you as well. We want to thank God for you today, for being with us. Go ahead, and when you get back to your seat, bow your heads one more time. We're going to pray one last prayer. And we're going to go home together. And you've only been here an hour and a half. That's